Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering, delivering made-from-scratch hot meals and individual boxed lunches for fast distribution to offices, warehouses, and factories, even on nights and weekends. Details are at grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Luke Martin, in for Nomeen Ujiadeen. Today is Thursday, April 13th. Coming up, even as the Ogallala Aquifer in western Kansas dries up, state leaders have been leery of limiting how much water farmers can use. But new statehouse action might signal a change. I feel like the culture is shifting towards a culture of conservation now. I think the real question is, is there enough time? First though, some headlines. Worlds of Fun will now require an adult chaperone for anyone 15 years old or younger entering the park in the evening. KCUR's Carlos Moreno has more. The rule change comes just a few days after the park's opening weekend when a massive fight involving nearly 150 teenagers had to be broken up by security. Police say none of the teens were accompanied by adults. Worlds of Fun announced on its website that starting at 4 p.m. on Saturday, guests under 16 years old must be accompanied by someone who is at least 21. Chaperones must present a government-issued photo ID when entering the park. Many entertainment venues in the metro already have chaperone policies for minors. In January, Wynwood Skate Center in the North implemented its own rule following a fight on New Year's Eve. Seven current and former residents of the Stonegate Meadows apartment complex on East 42nd Street in Kansas City, Missouri, are joining in a class action lawsuit against their property managers and owners. The lawsuit alleges long-standing, unsafe living conditions and a failure to return security deposits. Attorney John Bonacorsi with the Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom is representing the tenants. He wants property owners to fix up the complex. The severity of the problem and the degree that we're seeing of Stonegate is, is deeply concerning. And tenants have had enough. They've been begging and pleading for years. And so they're standing up and joining together to, to assert their rights now. The complex has about 400 units and gets tax credits and Section 8 vouchers. It's one of the largest affordable housing providers in Kansas City. A Kansas City, Kansas family says police officers intimidated them while investigating allegations of an impaired officer. KCUR's Peggy Lowe reports. The unnamed black family says they were scared and felt intimidated by KCKPD officers while the department investigated their claim that an impaired officer had responded to a call to their home in January. It was caught on a video that went viral. A police statement released this week said the officer had been cleared of wrongdoing and passed a medical examination. The statement noted that the family hadn't cooperated. But the family's attorney says they were scared by officers stopping at their house and watching them from across the street. The family is now considering a lawsuit against the department. This is Kansas City Today. We'll be right back. When I say sandwich cookie, what do you think of? Oreo? Or what about Hydrox? The original cream-filled chocolate cookie? It's true. Hydrox cookies, the OG Oreo, are from Kansas City. And my podcast, A People's History of Kansas City, is digging into the story. Live at Rochester Brewing and Roasting Company in the Crossroads, Friday, March 29th. The first event sold out so fast, so we're going to do it again. We'll even have some cookies for you to sample. Visit kcur.org slash cookies for more information. During the pandemic, school lunch was free for all public school students. But last fall, students had to begin paying again. 
and families that qualified had to sign up for free or reduced cafeteria meals. Since that change, school districts in the Midwest say fewer children are eating lunch and meal debt is soaring. For Harvest Public Media, Kate Grumke reports on how officials at the state and federal level are responding. In the Melville School District outside of St. Louis, kindergartners file into the cafeteria for lunch. Today's menu? Breakfast for lunch. French toast sticks, sausage links, sweet potato tots. Oakville Elementary students slide their trays toward Pat Bros, who's ringing the kids up. Thank you. Bros says last year, when school meals were free for everyone, more kids came through her line. There was a lot more kids. They all, everybody wanted breakfast and lunch. That wasn't just in St. Louis. When the program was free for all kids last year, schools across the country served more than 80 million more meals compared to the year before the pandemic. But now families have to pay again, and low-income families have to apply to qualify for free or reduced-price meals. In Melville, they're seeing fewer kids in their subsidized program. And at the same time, meal debt is way up. School lunch debt is rising across the Midwest and the nation. In the Sioux City Community School District in northwest Iowa, students have racked up about $22,000 in debt. Rich Luzi runs nutrition for the district and says the government could have handled this change better. Given it for two years or whatever and then abruptly stopping it instead of phasing it down, okay, this year we'll cut it down to about half and then easing into it. That could have helped families prepare to readjust and rethink. But instead... Many families didn't realize they had to sign up to get free lunch. And the change came as inflation meant their money isn't going as far. Some states are trying to fill in the gap. Minnesota, Colorado, and three other states have passed legislation to offer free school meals long term. There are also calls to go back to universal free meals at the federal level. Crystal Fitzsimons is a director at the Food Research and Action Center. The pandemic proved that it is possible and that it is doable, and that it is the right thing to do. The Biden administration has a more gradual idea. The USDA proposed a new rule to expand something called the Community Eligibility Provision. It allows schools and districts with a lot of high-need students to serve free meals to all of their kids. The USDA wants to lower the threshold, allowing more schools to qualify for the program. U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack announced the proposed rule change at a school in Colorado. We're providing greater flexibility, more participation in a program, resources that take a little of the pressure off. Before the pandemic, about one in three school districts in the U.S. were already serving free meals to all students through community eligibility. Fitzsimon says this proposal could bring even more in. This is a really wonderful thing because it increases the number of schools that can opt to offer free meals to all their students, but it doesn't actually increase the amount of federal funding that the school would receive. So, you know, we're still hoping that maybe Congress would put in additional funding. Because states or schools have to fund these programs themselves, not all eligible districts choose to participate. In Nebraska, a lot of districts are reluctant to sign up for the community eligibility program even if they qualify. The state's legislature has multiple school lunch bills. One proposal would incentivize school districts to sign up for that community program. It's from State Senator Elliot Bostar, a Democrat who represents parts of Lincoln. It's, it's difficult to have a family these days. 
it's expensive. And so anything that we can do to make it a little bit easier to lighten the load or ease the burden um, is, is worthwhile. Bostar says the biggest hurdle in his state will be finding a way to pay for this. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Kate Grumpke. Water levels in the Ogallala Aquifer continue to plummet as farming irrigation swallows an average of more than 2 billion gallons of groundwater a day. But after decades of mostly inaction, David Condos of the Kansas News Service reports that the state's approach to water conservation might finally be shifting. In Wallace County near the Colorado border, more than 80% of the Ogallala Aquifer has already dried up, the highest percentage in the state. And so you can kind of see... That's where Brownie Wilson holds a giant spool of measuring tape, like a piece of carry-on luggage. He's here with the Kansas Geological Survey to see exactly how much more water has disappeared since last year. He feeds the steel tape into a pipe where it snakes hundreds of feet underground to measure how deep it has to go to hit water. Right here on the edge of that lip. This year, yeah. statewide levels fell by an average of nearly two feet. That's the third largest decline since the 1990s. Some levels around here dropped seven feet in one year, as drought pushed farmers to irrigate crops even more than usual. It's alarming, but Wilson says people who have been paying attention won't be surprised. Well, it's not really a crisis. We've known about this for decades, <laughs> unfortunately. He says this part of western Kansas needs to cut water use by at least one-third to stop the aquifer's decline. If it keeps running out, some of the region's farms and towns could vanish within a generation or two. But preserving the aquifer is a tricky balance in these parts. Irrigated farming pays the bills. Rural economies and communities depend on it. It also consumes the largest share of the aquifer's water, by far. 94% of all water used in this area goes to irrigate crops. And it's used up at nine times the rate that it's replenished by rainfall. You know, when you're talking about groundwater declines, there's only two ways to, to fix it. You gotta put more water in, or you gotta quit taking more out. So how did Kansas end up here? For decades, the state freely handed out water rights. That helped irrigated farming flourish, but ended up straining the Ogallala more than it could bear. And demand for cheap beef and ethanol gasoline incentivizes farmers to keep growing thirsty crops like corn. It's good for business. So Kansas politicians have long been leery of limiting irrigation. But a new push for conservation at the State House suggests real change. Next order of business is House Bill 2279. The Kansas Water Authority voted for the first time last December that the state should stop draining the aquifer for the sake of agriculture. And now Kansas lawmakers have approved a bill that pushes groundwater districts to reduce water use in their most depleted areas. House Water Committee Chair Jim Minix is a Republican from Scott County, right in the middle of Ogallala country. We're here today so that we don't become what the Colorado River Valley or Central California looks like. And we here in Kansas have an opportunity to improve our own future right here, and it starts now. When that bill came up for a vote, it passed overwhelmingly, <laughs> along with a second bill that would provide millions of dollars for things like helping farmers adopt water-saving technology. Jonathan Aguilar is a Kansas State University water specialist in Garden City. He says getting more efficient irrigation systems into Kansas crop fields buys the state critical time to avoid hitting the aquifer's point of no return. We are not yet there, but we are headed there if we don't make any changes. 
but telling Kansas farmers how much water they can use? That'll never be easy. Stafford County Republican Brett Fairchild is one of six House lawmakers who voted against the groundwater legislation. He says people in his part of the state remain skeptical of bills like this one. They worry it'll grease the slippery slope towards state-mandated irrigation cuts. I just, uh, I didn't think it would be a real popular vote in my district. And a new K-State survey finds a massive disconnect between how many Ogallala farmers believe depletion is a problem, nearly all of them, and how many believe they have a responsibility to do something about it. That's only around half. Sociologist Matt Sanderson, who worked on the survey, says those percentages haven't changed much since the 1980s. But he thinks Kansas might have finally endured enough drought and enough depletion that this year could be the tipping point. I feel like the culture is shifting towards a culture of conservation now. I think the real question is, is there enough time? For the Kansas News Service, I'm David Condos in Wallace County. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Luke Martin, in for Nomeen Ujiadin, who returns to the host chair tomorrow. This podcast is produced by Paris Norvell and KCUR Studios. It's edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. For more local news from Kansas City's NPR station, visit kcur.org. Tomorrow, learn about the boxing gym in Independence, Missouri, looking to reshape the sports local landscape and put kids on the right path in the process. Thanks for listening.